Praise the Lord, everyone. It's good to be here tonight. And looking forward to singing the songs of Zion tonight, lifting up the name of Jesus and allowing his presence to fill this place. So I'm so looking forward to it, and we're just going to go ahead and jump right into praise and worship. Let's just lift up the name of the Lord. Let's just see what the Lord will do tonight. Would you stand all over this house? Lift up your hands to the Lord. Can we give him our praise for just a few moments? Jesus, we love you, Lord. You're so faithful, God. You're so good to us, Jesus. Oh, we magnify your name, God. Hallelujah, 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 Jesus. Oh, I love you, Lord. I worship you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. I will bless the Lord.
Can we do that right now? Oh, let's take our praise to him tonight, Jesus. You're a good, good God. You're a gracious and merciful God, Jesus. We love you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Oh, our God is an awesome God. He reigns. place tonight, God. You're so awesome, Lord. You're so awesome, God. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. Oh, he's so wonderful. So awesome. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. I had to consider what he has done for us. Consider who he is. He stands outside of time and space because he is eternal. He 
is forever. What is man that thou art mindful of him? Oh, and when he visits us the way that he does. Oh, when I consider, when I consider what the what the atmosphere does when you step into the room. When I consider how awesome you are, God. Oh, and without you, Lord, life is meaningless. Without you, God. There is no purpose without you, Lord. There is no life. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Amen, amen. Y'all may be seated. The presence of the Lord is so amazing. think about all those who don't get to experience what we get to experience not just on Sunday but on Wednesday and not just on Wednesday and Sunday but every day we every day we wake up and we get into our prayer closet and we begin to worship the one who's still on the throne there is something that changes there is something that happens and I'm thankful that he responds to praise I'm thankful that he responds to worship. I'm thankful that he responds to hunger and faith. Hallelujah, hallelujah. Thinking about this week and everything that happened this week. In the first century, when Jesus was walking through his last week on earth, as a man, we know that he's still walking the earth in man. And I'm so thankful that we understand that. Sunday, Jesus rode into Jerusalem to the sounds of, of people shouting, Hosanna. And it was the fulfillment of the prophecy found in Zechariah chapter 9. And it says, Behold, thy king cometh to thee, having salvation. The people were looking for their king and the promise to be saved. But they did not anticipate the rejection of their hope. For salvation, the way that they had desired it. He came in as a king, openly fulfilling this prophecy, and those who cried Hosanna understood this, but something happened within the city. As he began to progress through the city, something happened. And we're, let's look at Matthew chapter 21, and we're going to read verses 9 through 11.
and the multitudes that went before and that followed cried, saying, Hosanna to the Son of David. Blessed is he that cometh in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. Now, if we look at this passage, we understand that this is the moment where they were laying down their their branches and they laid down the cloaks. They laid down these things and they were acknowledging that the one who has come in on the donkey is the king. They were excited. There was something happening in the atmosphere. People, people were worshiping. They were praising and they were thanking God for this prophecy coming to them. For them seeing this thing. Could you imagine knowing and the description of what Zechariah penned by the inspiration of the Holy Ghost when that, when that donkey began to be in, in, in the view of Jerusalem and them seeing the one on this day coming to fulfill this prophecy. Verse 10, and when he was coming to Jerusalem, all the city was moved, saying, who is this? There was an uproar, and I have to believe at this time that, that Jesus had caught the attention, or he had, he had captured the attention of the Roman Empire, the soldiers, the guards, the one who watched over the city. Who is this man, and what is this, what is this noise? So I, I believe that they surrounded the crowd as they began chanting Hosea, Hosanna, Hosanna. And the multitude said, this is Jesus, the prophet of Nazareth, of Galilee. Now listen, I want us to take special interest and what happened in this moment right here. Because they recognized that Jesus was coming in as the king. But he went from their king having salvation to the prophet of Nazareth of Galilee. Did they lose their confidence that Jesus was their king? Were they sizing up Rome's horses and Jesus' donkey? Look at, look at what, has oppressed, uh, what has oppressed Jerusalem. And you see Rome and all of their authority and all of their, their uh, visual, um, visual resources and to see the king of Jerusalem, the king of Israel, riding on a donkey. Were they determining his kingship by Rome's response to his entry? As he made his way into Jerusalem, do you think at that time that the people of Israel were watching the Roman soldiers. What's going to be, what's going to be their response to our king? But maybe it didn't play out the way they wanted to. Maybe, maybe Rome just stood still, watching them, 
with straight faces, not recognizing that there is a threat. And the people must have witnessed this and thought, why? Why are they still standing? Why aren't they running? Rome wasn't threatened. So he must not be our king. He's just a prophet. He was king until he moved past Rome's guards. Listen, if he is our king in here or in our home, he must be our king wherever we go. He's not just on the throne in this place. He's not just on the throne in our houses. He's not just in the throne, on the throne in our prayer closets. He's on the throne wherever we go. He is the king. He's the king of kings and the Lord of lords. And he is still on the throne. And he must be our king wherever we go, including the moment the oppressor shows up and he doesn't do what we think he should. Why do I feel this oppression, God? How often do we think that God is just supposed to remove the oppressor from our life? Now, I believe that he does do that for people. But what happens if he doesn't? Because here we have a clear example of what Jesus didn't do for Israel. He didn't overthrow Rome. He didn't remove the oppression. So if God chooses to let Rome oppress Jerusalem, don't you think God will let the United States be, be oppressed by the government? Or any other, any other kingdom? Now, Mark records Jesus entering Jerusalem and going into the temple. Uh, Mark chapter 11, verses 8 through 11. And many spread their garments in the way. And this is, this is that same moment. And others cut down branches off the trees and strawed them in the way. And they that went before and they that followed cried, saying, Hosanna, blessed is he that cometh in the name of the Lord. Blessed be the kingdom of our father David that cometh in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. And Jesus entered into Jerusalem and into the temple. And when he had looked around about upon all things, and now the eventide was come, he went out unto Bethany with the twelve. Jesus immediately sets his eye on the temple. It's almost as if he rode into Jerusalem to go to the temple. This was his focus, and he moved right past Rome's stronghold because his concern was the condition of the house of prayer. Jesus looked into the prayer room to see the real problem. When Jesus hears the cry of his people for deliverance from oppression, he visits the prayer room. 
Are you really under oppression because I see the house of prayer empty? He visits the prayer closet. Because because oppression comes when prayer is neglected. Strongholds are built when the war room is empty. Strongholds are built when there's no one to fight it. If the church isn't praying, the enemy's building. When we come here on Tuesday night, listen, we're, 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 we're praying. We're seeking God. But we're also engaging in spiritual warfare that the strongholds would not be built. That there would not be strongholds. Listen, how many people have family? You have family members who are bound by strongholds. But you know what? If it's not a concern enough for you to go to the prayer room or the prayer closet, then that stronghold will get bigger and bigger and bigger. What the church needs to do is treat the house of prayer as a place for God to do a work in this land. Jesus went into the temple. He looked around and noticed the condition of the temple. And then he took his disciples to Bethany for the night. And that the very next day, so this was on Sunday, according to scholars. And Monday, the new day, he went back to Jerusalem. And then Jesus had his eyes on the temple again. But before they arrived, he made an interesting move. And we can look at that at Mark chapter 11, verses 13 and 14. And seeing a fig tree afar off, having leaves, he came. If haply he might find anything thereon. And when he came to it, he found nothing but leaves. For the time of pigs was not yet. Now, I want us to look at a, a, a phrase there. A couple of them, actually, because this is very interesting. If haply, he might find anything thereon. But when he came to it, he found nothing but leaves, for the time of figs was not yet. Verse 14. And Jesus answered and said unto it, No man eat fruit of thee hereafter forever. And his disciples heard it. Now, this tree had leaves, but no fruit. It wasn't supposed to have fruit. It was not the season. But according to some scholars, the fig tree has always ripe or unripe fruit on it. The fig tree is said to bear double crops. And that crop ripes in the spring. Think about this. He came to a tree that looked like it had fruit. When he went into the temple, the people looked like they had fruit. But really, they were just leafy. This 
this situation, this whole scenario, this whole layout here was, was a type of the Jewish people in that day. They had corrupted themselves. They had been led down a road full of false doctrine and teaching. And they have watched the scribes and the Pharisees in their self-righteousness establish the rule for the temple. And if we go back to verse 14 or Mark 14 there. And Jesus answered and said unto it, No man eat fruit of thee hereafter forever. And his disciples heard it. They had a form of godliness, but denied the power. They appeared to be holy, but lacked fruit. And that is what Jesus looked for. And can I just present to you tonight, that is still the same thing that he looks for. He's not looking for the leaves, he's looking for the fruit. And when he shows up or when he comes into the prayer room, is he going to find fruit? Is he going to find fruit when he comes down my road? When he comes into this intersection here, is he going to find fruit on the tree? Matthew chapter 3 verse 10. And now also the axe is laid unto the root of the trees. Therefore every tree which bringeth not forth good fruit is hewn down and cast into the fire. The only thing that a fruitless tree or a fruitless branch is good for is fire. To be consumed by it. To be burnt. Verse 11. Sorry. Sorry, uh, 1233, that's it. You're the right spot there. Either make the tree good and his fruit good, or else make the tree corrupt and his fruit corrupt. For the tree is known by his fruit. The tree is not known by its leaf. The tree is known by its fruit. It does not matter how apostolic we look if there's no fruit. If there is no fruit... Come on, if there is no fruit, I'm not apostolic. If there is no fruit, I'm not connected to the vine. If there is no fruit, I better get back to that place and cry out to God and say, Lord, don't let me be consumed by the fire. Matthew chapter 13, verse 23. But he that receiveth seed into the good ground is he that heareth the word and understandeth it, which also beareth fruit and bringeth forth some an hundredfold, some sixty and some thirty. This is, here is a key right here. Here is a key to produce fruit. I got to make sure that the soil of my life is, is ready for the seed. I've been doing soil work. I've been working on it. I've been praying. I've been fasting. I've been reading. I've been worshiping. I visited the prayer room. I visit my prayer closet. I get God's word out. Why? Because I want the ground to be good for the word of God to go forth. And I want to hear it and understand it that I will produce fruit. Hundredfold, sixty, thirty. 
If I receive his word, if I receive his instruction, there is a promise for there to be fruit. If I cleave to his word and cleave to the warnings and cleave to what he's trying to do, I'll I'll be a fruitful, I'll be a fruitful person. John chapter 15, verses 1 through 8. And I am the true vine, and my father is the husbandman. Every branch in me that beareth not fruit, he taketh away. And every branch that beareth fruit, he purgeth it, that it may bring forth more fruit. Now ye are clean through the word which I have spoken unto you. Abide in me, and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself, except it abide in the vine. No more can you, can ye, except ye abide in me. Now the key to the the key to being fruitful is being connected to the vine. Verse five: I am the vine; ye are the branches. He that abideth in me and I in him, the same bringeth forth much fruit. For without me you can do nothing. And that, that, that is the key, right? That's one of the keys in this is that the Pharisees and the scribes thought that they could do it without Jesus. Thought that they could be fruitful without Jesus. People can't be fruitful without Jesus. It takes the vine for there to be fruit. If a man abide not in me, he is cast forth as a branch and is withered. And men gather them and cast them into the fire and they are burnt. If ye abide in me and my words. Here we go back to his word. Remember what we read in Matthew 13. How how that word, that word when it hits the right soil. It's going to produce fruit. And he said if if my words abide abide in you, ye shall ask. What you will, and it shall be done unto you. Now, what is he? What is he implying there? The implication is there. If you ask what you will, that means I'm going to pray. If I abide in Him and His Word abides in me, I'm going to pray. I'm going to pray, and whatever I ask, it shall be done unto you. Herein is my Father glorified. Where, where is the Father glorified? That ye bear. Much fruit. So shall ye be my disciples. So shall ye be my disciples. Now listen, let's go to Mark chapter 11, verse 15 through 17. And they came and, and they come to Jerusalem and Jesus went into the temple Begin to cast out them that sold and bought in the temple and overthrew the tables of the money changers and the seats of them that sold doves and would not suffer that any man should carry any vessel through the temple. And he taught, saying unto them, Is it not written, My house shall be called of all nations the house of prayer, but ye have made it a den of thieves. Listen, the temple was filled. Listen to this. The temple was filled with sacrifice, but none of it was pleasing to God. A busy house doesn't mean it's a pleasing house. Come on, we can be so busy in the kingdom that everything that we do is not pleasing to God. 
They polluted the house of prayer with earthly business or busyness. There was sacrifice, but it was empty. Just like the scribes and chief priests who allowed this pollution to fill the temple. We need to make sure that what happens in the house of prayer doesn't begin in the house of prayer. Visualize this for a moment. And think about what they, what they did when they got to the house of prayer. They got to the house of prayer. They got to the temple and they bought sacrifice. Which means they didn't bring anything in with them. What was being taught caused people to show up with empty hands. And if we're not careful, what we'll do is we'll wait to connect to God on Sunday or Wednesday. We'll come in here with empty hands and not have anything, not have anything to bring. We'll come in here and look for sacrifice. I'll look for a way to give God something. But you know what we need to do? We need to enter into his gates with thanksgiving and into his courts with praise. We need to bring that sacrifice into this place. Isaiah chapter 56, verse 7 and 8. Even them will I bring to my holy mountain and make them joyful in my house of prayer. Their burnt offerings and their sacrifices shall be accepted upon mine altar. For mine house shall be called a house of prayer for all people. Now we know based on this passage that there was a pleasing sacrifice and there was sacrifice that was not pleasing. Verse 8, the Lord God which gathereth the outcast of Israel saith, yet will I gather others to him beside those that are gathered unto him. Now, I, wanna, I want us to look at that. The Lord God which gathereth the outcast of Israel. Right now, I'm looking at a group of outcasts that God has gathered into this place. He's gathered people with different backgrounds and experiences to bring the sacrifice of praise into this place. Jeremiah chapter 33 and verse 11. The voice of joy and the voice of gladness, the voice of the bridegroom and the voice of the bride, the voice of them that shall say, Praise the Lord of hosts, for the Lord is good, for his mercy endureth forever, and of them... That shall bring the sacrifice of praise into the house of the Lord. What am I to bring into the house? The sacrifice of praise. And this is what we have to take inventory and say, have I not brought the sacrifice? Or have I just brought carnality? Have I brought worldliness? Have I brought a place of oppression? And I'm trying to get out, but I have no sacrifice. And I have no consecration. And when I get here, somebody has to say, lift your hands to the Lord and magnify his name. When that should be the way I come into this place, I come in here with my voice lifted. I come in here with my hands raised. I come in here determined to let the Lord know I'm coming with a sacrifice. I'm not coming with empty hands. I'm coming to say, bless the name of the Lord. 
I will bless the Lord at all times. Them that shall bring the sacrifice of praise into the house of the Lord. The house of prayer had become empty ritual. And this is why Jesus drove out the corruption and spent time teaching those who had been polluted by the scribes and Pharisees. Because if you look, if you look to history, Israel's oppression was a direct result of worship. When they worshiped at the wrong altar, they were led into captivity. When they worshipped the gods of the earth, they corrupted themselves. And this is why Jesus spent time teaching and warning in his last week. In his last week, he said so many things. And he gave so many many valuable insights and word and instruction. He also warned in his last week, he went to the temple. Now, I don't believe he went to the temple just to dispute with the scribes and the Pharisees and the priests. I believe he went in there to let people know you've been taught the wrong thing. He didn't go in for the self-righteous. He went for the deceived. He went for the ones who have been led astray, who have been led into bondage uh, because they believed a lie. And he came for them to release them. He came for the captives and he went after them to bring freedom to their life. That happened on Monday. Now, if we look to Tuesday and Wednesday, Jesus taught his disciples the power of faith mixed with prayer. This wasn't something that was taught in the temple. This wasn't something that was taught by the religious leaders of the day. They, they were, it was foreign to them. And when Jesus cursed the fig tree and it withered before their eyes, it withered before them and they they seen it, they thought, how is this possible? Matthew chapter 21, verse 21 and 22. Or 21 to 23. Jesus answered and said unto him, Verily I say unto you, if ye have faith, And doubt not, ye shall not only do this which is done to the fig tree, but also if ye shall say unto this mountain, Be thou removed, and be thou cast into the sea, it shall be done. Now what Jesus was doing, he was teaching things that was absolutely against the grain in their day. You say to the mountain that has stood in everybody's way. It stood in your way. It has stood in the way for generations. But now you mix your faith with this prayer and you believe, listen, that mountain is getting out of the way. Be thou removed and be thou cast into the sea. It shall be done. The bold words of Jesus saying, get back to the temple, but don't get, don't get empty ritual. Get out of empty ritual and believe when you pray. When you go into that place of worship and prayer, believe it and it shall be done. In all things whatsoever ye shall ask in prayer, believing ye shall receive. 
And when he was come into the temple, the chief priest and the elders of the people came unto him as he was teaching. Listen, I believe that what Jesus was doing when he was teaching about prayer and faith, you know what that did? That highlighted the scribes and the Pharisees as empty. Because they stand and pray and they, they, they exhibit a, a life of prayer and they use long words. And they stand in the temple and proclaim how holy they are. What Jesus was proclaiming to all those who were listening to him was you pray like this uh, and you're not going to need to look to the scribes and the Pharisees. They're going to need to look to you because you're going to have something that they don't. They've been living their life uh, as a leaf, uh, but you're going to do this and God's going to bring fruit into your life. And they'll never have fruit. They'll never have fruit. The chief priests and the elders of the people came unto him as he was teaching and said, By what authority dost thou these things? And who gave thee this authority? They were mad. Listen, listen, Jesus. I don't like the way these people are looking after you talk to them. We are the leaders. Listen, you know what a Pharisee wants to be? The Pharisee wants the spotlight. The Pharisee wants to make sure he's seen. The Pharisee wants to stand uh, not in the shadow. He wants to stand uh, on the stage and say, look at me. Because he loves the praise of people. He loves the praise of people. A Pharisee. Uh, doesn't have to stay a Pharisee though. But listen, uh, all that pride has to come crumbling down. A Pharisee can find, can find redemption. A Pharisee uh, can have fruit. But they're going to have to put the facade down. And they're going to have to humble themselves. And listen, that's going to be hard for somebody that built themselves up. To now humble themselves. Prayer should not be empty like the Pharisees' prayer. But full of expectation. When we bring the sacrifice here and we bring our faith and expectation, there will be a transaction that will reveal fruit. Prayer should be exciting. Prayer should be full of hope. Prayer should be full of gladness and excitement, not, Lord, if you don't do it, I don't know how I'm going to survive. Prayer should be, God, you are wonderful, and I'm so thankful for all the things that you have shown me, and you showered me with blessings, and your favor is on my life, and so I know you're going to help me. You're going to navigate me through this life. You're going to give me an expected end. You're going to lead me to that place of being fruitful. You're going to bring us to that place of multiplication. It should be gladness when we pray, because we believe God's 
going to do it. We believe he's going to show up and show himself faithful. And I can be glad when I know it. The scripture, his authority is challenged. And then he teaches a few parables and then he lays into those who had portrayed themselves as spiritual and this is what he said this is a, this is in the last week of his life the last week of his earthly ministry as he walked the earth as the man the savior the redeemer Matthew chapter 23 Now listen to what Jesus was doing. And I imagine there were scribes and Pharisees that were around. Because he's still in Jerusalem. Whether he's in the temple or outside of the temple, he's there. And he had done made the Pharisees and the scribes mad. So they were, I believe they were following around trying to see what's he going to say next. Because we're going to try to get him caught up. We're going to try to get him caught up so we can bring accusations against him. And listen to what he said. Then spake Jesus to the multitude and to his disciples, saying, The scribes and the Pharisees sit in Moses' seat, talking about them to his disciples and the multitude who were listening. He was making an example of what they what they had done and who they were. And he was telling the multitudes. You know what he was doing? He was he was reading their mail to everyone to hear, for everyone to hear. They sit in Moses' seat. All therefore whatsoever they bid you observe, they that observe and do, but do not ye after their works, for they say and do not. Don't do what the scribes and the Pharisees do, because they'll tell you one thing and they won't do it themselves. I can, I can picture them be, becoming furious. Jesus, you're ruining our prophet. First you come in and you wreck, you overthrow the temple. That was, we had, we had money in our pockets. I believe there was some kind of extortion or some kind of some kind of thing that was taking place. And the scribes and the Pharisees are right in there. Why? Because they were not spiritual. They, they were carnal as the day is long. Verse 4. For they bind heavy burdens and grievous to be borne and lay them on men's shoulders, but they themselves will not move them with one of their fingers. We're going to make it hard for you. And we're going to watch you suffer. And we're not going to do anything to help you. But we will take your money. Verse 5. But all the works they do for to be seen of men, they make broad their phylacteries and enlarge the borders of their garments, I know I've been on a on a on a, a soapbox about these things about being so dressed up. 
Do you think do you think that could fall into the category of being a Pharisee? It could, right? It could if I was proud and, and, and I wanted to do things to be seen and I walked in the room to see if anybody was watching me walk into the room. I can I can be honest and say that from experience because when I was when I was a young man, I, I, you know I, I I felt the call I felt the call into the ministry, but I was immature. I was so immature. I, I knew the culture and I knew how to look the part and act right. And you know what? I, I'd walk in to see see how many people thought I was called, see how many people look at me and say, you know what? That's that's a that's a great man of God right there. Just being transparent here. How many people walk through the doors? They spend hours preparing themselves to walk through the doors so they can see people look at them like. It happens. I'm not going to say, I'm not gonna say that I, I have specific other than my own testimony. And, I, and I've seen things here and there through the years. I'm not going to run anybody's name in the mud or anything like that, but I'm going to say it's out there. There's a spirit out there. There is, there is a spirit of pride that's working that try to say, look at me. It's the spirit of a Pharisee. The spirit of a Pharisee. Jesus said, don't do what they do. He was bringing warning. He was bringing it down. He was making it plain for all to hear. And they love the uppermost rooms at feast and the chief seats in the synagogues. You know what else I wanted? I want to go sit on the platform like all the other ones. I want to sit up there. And that's one of the reasons personally, personally, can I, this is personally, one of the reasons why I wanted to get the chairs off the platform. I don't want to promote something that people are like, I want to sit on the platform. I want to sit on the platform to be seen. I want to sit up there so people know my name. Listen, I want to low myself so they know his name. I want to humble myself so they know the king of kings. Not me. It's not my merit. It's not my goodness. It's his mercy. It's his grace. And so I'm going to humble myself so somebody may see Jesus. Verse 7. And greetings in the markets and to be called of men, Rabbi, Rabbi. Teacher, teacher, you're so amazing. You're so awesome. The way that you break it down and the way that you do this, there's nobody like you. But the last I remembered, there's nobody like Jesus. Verse 8. Be not called, ye called rabbi, for one is your master, even Christ, and all ye are brethren. Verse 9. And call no man your father upon the earth, for one is your father which is in heaven. Neither be ye called masters, for one is your master, even Christ. But he that is greatest among you shall be your servant. And whosoever shall exalt himself shall be abased. And he that shall humble himself shall be exalted. You know what Jesus was doing in this moment? He was abasing the Pharisees. He was putting them in their place. They have far too long abused their power and their influence. And now he's saying, now it's time for you to get off of your throne. There's a new king that's coming. And it's me. And I'm going to sit on the throne. And there's going to be a people. 
who will walk just like I did when I walked into Jerusalem and I came as a servant. I didn't come as a, I didn't come as a, as a mighty challenger uh, uh, to overthrow the, I came as a, as a suffering servant. Verse 13. But woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you shut up the kingdom of heaven against men. You know what they did in that prayer room, in the house of prayer, when Jesus, they were shutting up the kingdom of heaven against men. For you neither, you neither go in your, they couldn't do it themselves. Yeah. <laughs> oh. They couldn't take them in. So they had shut up the kingdom of heaven. You neither go in yourselves, neither suffer ye them that are entering to go in. Verse 14. Woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for ye devour widows' houses, and for a pretense make long prayer. Therefore, ye shall receive the greater damnation. I'm talking. What do you think the Pharisees were doing at this, at this point? Livid. Livid, plotting. We got to get him out of here. He's exposing us. Woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites. For you compass the sea and land to make one proselyte. And when he is made, you make him twofold more the child of hell than yourselves. You know what happens when a Pharisee is pastor in a church? He's making proselytes, children of hell. What does it say? Woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, religious leaders, religious influencers, for you compass sea and land to make one proselyte. And when he is made, you make him twofold more the child of hell than yourselves. What Jesus was what Jesus was doing, he was exposing what they were doing because they weren't just they weren't just being Pharisaical in their ways. They were producing people who would become worse than them. Verse sixteen: Woe unto you, ye blind guides, which say, "Whosoever shall swear by the temple is it is nothing, but whosoever shall swear by the gold of the temple, he is a debtor." Verse 17, ye fools and blind, for whether is greater the gold of the temple that sanctifieth the gold or the temple that sanctifieth the gold. And whosoever shall swear by the altar, it is nothing. But whosoever sweareth by the gift that is upon it, he is guilty. Ye fools and blind, for whether is greater the gift or the altar. 